My mother always tells me to smile and put on a happy face. She told me I had a purpose. Welcome to the Suicide Squadcast. This is the DC Universe podcast where we discuss the DC Extended Universe movies and TV shows. That's right. We are big fans of all what DC Comics is doing on the big and the small screens, and we want to make sure we talk all about it. So let's get started. Thanks for joining us tonight. My name is Scott. And I am Tim, and we are the Suicide Squadcast. But Scott, don't get too attached. <laughs> really? You went ahead. You blew the lead. Seriously. Well, I just had you put it in the notes, and I just had to read it. I did, because I was like, I want to I want to stake a claim on a possible episode title this week. Yes. I'm. It, we used to do that more often than we do now. Yes. Well, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then. Oh, shut up. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah, man. We'll, we'll be talking about that one a little bit later. Yeah, but it's going to be more Joker. Yes. A lot of Joker. All Joker. <laughs> All Joker, maybe. Yes. Not yeah. really. There's other things. There's a few things. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and remind you at this point that we are members of the Suicide Squadcast Network. That does include DC Comics Squadcast with Chris and Jordan, Fans Without Borders with Brenton Ray. Ray and DC TV Squadcast with Ray and etc. Which <laughs> at this point is still going to be you, Tim, talking about Pennyworth. Yep. And Jordan continuing to talk about season two of Titans. I know, I know. You know, and I, I gotta tell you, I still haven't finished my rewatch from season one, so I've been holding off. I haven't seen the first two episodes yet. Yeah, as of tonight, I haven't I started episode two, but I you know, that is not a show I can watch with my children in the room. So <laughs> I will be catching that later. Yeah, understandable. And guys, if you would like to help support what we're doing with this show and with the rest of the network, uh, we encourage you to go to patreon.com slash squadcastmedia, where we produce all kinds of original and additional content that we put out there for the people who are able to support us as a little thank you. And we just published our League of Extraordinary Gentlemen review. That went out on Wednesday at noon, if I remember right. And then Thursday evening, Fans Without Borders Plus published uh, Ray and I talking about It Chapter 2. Yeah, very good. You'll follow too, Tim. You'll follow too. <laughs> okay. Hello, Tim. Me, how are you doing today? Yes, I, I'm doing fine, <laughs> Georgie. <laughs> <laughs> George. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get on with the news here. Uh, more Joker. More Joker. More Joker. I want tickets. Why don't you give me tickets? Uh, are we going to get tickets? Because I mean, I'm, I haven't like dug into this myself, but I, I did see some chatter online, which I cannot confirm that it's true. But some people were looking. Oh, we talk about Tim. The internet is always true. <laughs> some people were kind of reaching out to some of the exhibitors, saying, "Hey, you know, when are tickets going to go on sale?" And apparently, the response that they got was that tickets are not going to go on sale for Joker until literally like the day before the premiere. Which I have a hard time believing and Tim and I were kind of speculating beforehand like what benefit does that do for anyone? Yeah. And we weren't really sure. I do know that I was looking at the AMC app and they're already saying advanced tickets on sale soon and usually when that shows up on my app it usually means like ticket sales are like a week away. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm expecting to be able to start buying tickets by next weekend. At least that's what I'm hoping. Yeah I would hope so too. And that's the thing I can't figure out like 
literally before we started recording, we were trying to figure this out. If this is in fact true, what would be the motivation? Okay, if you're Warner Brothers and you say, you know, we're not going to have early ticket sales, why? What would be the reason that you would not do that? I I have no idea. Yeah, I can't figure it out either. And I don't know. Maybe it may you know does it have something to do with like kind of the same reason that they skipped out on Comic Con uh, and not and did not do like a big you know reveal or special at Comic Con about Joker? Are they just trying to kind of play this one cool? Is that what you know? Would that be the motivation if they're angling for you know having a presence in the Oscars? Are they trying not to attach this thing to all the typical hype that you get with a tentpole type film? But but even Oscar quote films you get advanced tickets. Yeah, uh, I mean it's, <laughs> it's it's not like there's a history of that. All movies get advanced tickets. Yeah, it's the way it works. Don't understand. Yeah, so we'll see. Yeah, that could just be early information, and maybe we'll get something here imminently. But you know, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, trust me. I will. I will announce online when my tickets are purchased. <laughs> that will happen. Yes, it is a guarantee. Text me first, just to make sure oh. in case I'm busy at work. I need to know. <laughs> you need to. Okay. Yes, sir. Yes. So, um, so again, this past week, Joker premiered over at TIFF, which is a Toronto International Film Festival, and like we said, you know, we we got a ton of reactions out of that. We got a lot more reviews added to the aggregate. So uh, we're going to go over some of those here. But there was also a really nice uh, interview that was done uh, by the New York Times. Dave Itzkoff uh, did the interview with uh, Todd Phillips and Joaquin Phoenix, really to kind of talk about the film. And there's a lot of little bits in there that I, I thought were kind of interesting. I, I pulled them out, just kind of like to run through them and just talk about them with you, Scott. Okay, I guess I'll let you do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, while you have me here, I mean. <laughs> First one, so Dave asked Todd Phillips, he says, you know, why were you really wanting to do Joker? And Todd Phillips responded, and he says, you can't beat Marvel. It's a giant behemoth. And he says, let's do something that they can't do. And he said that before. That's not the first time I've heard those exact words come out of Todd Phillips' mouth. Yeah, absolutely. So again, so it's it's really kind of talking about the idea of, you know, what's something that clearly is something that DC is able to do from a brand perspective and maybe a studio perspective that Disney just is not, it's not part of their nature to do. It's not, they're not willing to do. They're not willing. Or at least they have not shown a willingness to do it historically. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Certainly not when they, when they slap it under, you know, the Disney brand name. Touchstone and Miramax used to give them th- that out back in the day. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too, because I mean, th- uh, let's be real. These intellectual properties for Disney, when we talk about the Marvel side of things, it, it transcends much bigger than film. There is so much merchandising involved. And so clearly they're just not wanting to go to really deep and dark places like it seems like Warner Brothers at least at this point has been willing to do. No, absolutely. So I'm just I'm excited about this. I really am and I just, and I want I want Warner Brothers to finally learn the right lesson from these <laughs> from these experiences. Yeah. And this this might be interesting. So we shall see. Uh the article went on to talk about Todd Phillips uh trying to convince Joaquin to do the movie. Apparently he visited Phoenix's home multiple times over the course of about three months, uh, answering many, many questions that Phoenix apparently had about the Joker character. And Phoenix said, I asked him to come over and audition me for it. It's It wasn't an easy decision, but he kept saying, let's just be bold. Let's do something. To which Phillips recalled saying, I can keep waiting for him to just say, okay, I'm in. And he never did that. You just never get a yes. All you get is more questions. <laughs> 
Oh, and especially, you know, knowing how Todd Phillips and Silver had talked about how they basically had Joaquin Phoenix in mind when they wrote this script and to feel like, okay, maybe we can kind of convince him and then just like have this thing dragging on for months. You know, are we going to be able to convince this guy to like take this role? And then uh, just when you feel like, you know, he's about ready to say, okay, he he just asked more questions. <laughs> it must have been a tough, a tough uh, period of time there. I'm sure it was just him, you know, being um, playing a little hard to get. I feel like Joaquin was screwing with him. Um, That could be, but I mean, let's face it i mean you know joaquin really takes he doesn't a, need this he doesn't need this he doesn't need this and and clearly he's been taking like indie type roles for quite a while so it's like and and we'll get on to some of this later when you kind of deal with like this kind of hitting him like a brick when he's starting to deal with all the publicity that this film's going to get you know you know I, i'm sure he had to have had a ton of reservations about this thing especially when it's doing a character that's been done like you know six or seven times pretty effectively uh from a variety of actors ahead of him and so, you know, it, it's got to be kind of intimidating. Do you really want to jump into that? Because, I mean, invariably, there's going to be tons and tons of comparisons. And, you know, of course, we're already getting them. Of course. Um, I thought it was very interesting that he and Phillips had, I love how the article put it, fruitful disagreements <laughs> about Joaquin Phoenix losing weight for the role. Yeah. It's basically just going, Joaquin, I don't want to lose weight again. I just yeah. don't feel like doing it. And Phillips was like, no, you're you're going to do this thin. Yeah. So apparently Joaquin ended up losing 52 pounds for the part. Yeah, which we had talked Whoa. about this one before, but I, I love the comments here. Uh, Phoenix was talking about how, you know, it's a horrible way to live, you know, talking about the eating habits he has to have to get into this, you know, just huge weight loss. And so he was trying to convince, you know, Todd Phillips that, you know, I think, I think Joker should be kind of heavy. <laughs> and that's where Todd Phillips was like, no, I, I think... I think he should, you know, I think he should do the real thin person. And he was just really trying to convince him. You could just see he was like, you know, oh, I want to do this character, but does he really need to be thin? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Joaquin. Yes, yeah. he does. Uh, he put up a fight. <laughs> yeah. That, was, that wasn't when he was going to win. No, no. Yeah, that definitely not. Okay. This next part, however, I, I, I'm like, my eyebrows just kind of went, <laughs> was like, learning to dance. <laughs> just like, what? Uh, Joaquin Phoenix apparently trained with a choreographer and studied videos of famous dancers to which he responded, I won't say who. <laughs> and I'm just like, uh, am I getting a song and dance number? Am I getting a, I, you know, the, the, the whole scene of him like going down the stairs, I guess once he becomes Joker, I'm like, I'm kind of curious. I'm, am I getting singing in the rain? I'm just, just, just show me. I, I don't know. Especially after the song choices that we talked about last week. This sounds really interesting to me. Yeah, I don't know if you're as much going to get a dance, like a dance number, but I'm sure you're going to get little elements of it where he's, you know, I'm just kind of picturing that he's transforming and he's seeing himself like freeing himself and kind of feeling alive. Well, we've also got the scenes in that bathroom where he's kind of moving his foot in kind of that way, you yeah. know, kind of in front of the mirror. I'm sure there's some movement that he does at, like you said, as he's becoming the Joker that was probably probably inspired in some way by, you know, famous dancers of the past. But I just, still, it was just one of those things that makes you, me go, huh, this is <laughs> going to be a different kind of movie, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, and then they went on to talk about how Todd Phillips and Joaquin Phoenix both had, like, a bunch of misgivings about Joker in terms of how it was explicitly tied to the comic book mythology. And especially, they really didn't like the idea how the character was necessarily so tied to Thomas Wayne, talking about the billionaire 
Thomas Wayne, and then, of course, whose uh, son is Bruce. And uh, Todd Phillips said he never liked saying the name Thomas Wayne, talking about Joaquin Phoenix. He goes, it would have been easier for him if the movie was called Arthur, and he had nothing to do with any of that stuff. But in the long run, I think he got it and appreciated it. So it's kind of funny. Like, So that was, again, one of the misgivings that continued to carry on, apparently, for Joaquin Phoenix, uh, even as they were filming here. Like, he wasn't necessarily interested in the fact that this was Joker, part of the Batman mythology, but more so he was just interested in the character and the transformation of the character. Well, and then also kind of continued on with the interviews he was doing before Joker started production and uh, Joaquin Phoenix said he realized this is a really big deal and I'm so like not in the game that I don't know people would do this. So it was just kind of like I because he was he was being peppered with questions about his how his performance was going to differ from previous actors interpretations and he's just like I, I don't do that. I just don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this is one of the things that um, I'm sure he was, you know, had his reservations about. But then when it finally starts to happen where everyone's invariably asking him all kinds of questions about, you know, uh, bringing up Heath Ledger and, you know, any, you know, probably Jared Leto, anybody else that's been playing us. And like, he's like, I don't he doesn't want to deal with that. Like, he doesn't care about the comparisons. Right. It's not about comparisons. It's about what the work I did. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, you know, like the comment that was floating around this week about uh Todd Phillips comparing comic books to uh, being America's Shakespeare and the point not being that they are of the same literary quality as Shakespeare but that the point in that you have characters who can be interpreted in mil- in a million different ways like we've had char- you know performances of Hamlet since the 1500 the 15 right. 1600s and actors have played it multiple times in a myriad of different ways that okay people that was the point he was trying to make <laughs> It's tangent soapbox. That's the point he was trying to make. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I did find this one part interesting where Todd Phillips kind of revealed a little bit about how Joaquin Phoenix was on set and some of the the things that he dealt with and really what his composure was. And he said that uh, there were moments when Phoenix would just l- kind of lose his composure on the set of Joker. And, and sometimes it was like, you know, baffling to his co-stars. And Phillips was quoted as saying, like, in the middle of the scene, he would just walk away and walk out. And he said, the poor other actor thinks it's them. And it was never them. It was always him. And he just wasn't feeling it. And after taking a breather, he said, you know, we'll take a walk and we'll come back and we'll do it. So this is emblematic of somebody that is just so completely into the role at the moment. And he knows if it's not coming out the way it needs to come out or the way he wants it to come out. And he has to just kind of get away and get his thoughts composed and all that. I just find this like so interesting. Yeah, maybe I don't find it as much as interesting. It's just like, okay, dude, get over yourself there's a way there's a way you can do this and be a little bit more courteous of your fellow actors but okay yeah i mean i i don't necessarily see it that way i i I just think it's like you know he's if he's not feeling it he it's something mentally he has to get right in his head and you know if that's what it takes for him to do it uh well as an actor i would not appreciate that at all since i used to do this you know i there's a way to be a little more curious about it but you know that's just the way it's the way some people are it's why i don't act anymore. <laughs> just just saying. Of course, then, considering what we were just talking about, apparently Joaquin never bothered to do that to De Niro. Because <laughs> Robert De Niro made the comment, quote, Joaquin was very intense in what he was doing as it should be and he, as he should be. There's nothing to talk about personally on the side. Let's have coffee. Let's just do the stuff. <laughs> no, and, and that's, and that's you know, that's just one, like, I'm here to work. Let's do the work. No, not a lot of ch- ch- 
you know, all that chit chat's going to get you hurt. And then Robert Daniel came in and he talked about how people would kind of identify with these types of loner type characters. Of course, he played Travis Bickle in uh, Taxi Driver. And the way he explained it, he says, you know, people identify with these characters kind of in some way. Not that they go to those kind of extremes that these characters go to, but they can understand the sentiment. And sometimes those things are cathartic. I, I think that's... I. Th- I I would say I would definitely agree with that. And I think, you know, when you look at this character, you're going to you're going to say, look, I understand kind of what is making Arthur feel this way. At least this is what I'm expecting to feel. You know, like I can understand uh, the the way Arthur may have looked at these things, but I'll never understand like the extremes that he would go to. Or you, or you would never you you would never excuse what he does. Right. Even if you could say, I see where it came from, but you're still quick, right? Right. Yeah. Well, and kind of continuing with the theme, that apparently happened throughout this New York Times article. Uh, Todd Phillips had said that his star was free to approach these duties however he wanted, talking about the PR appearances he's going to have to make for the movie. And he said, if he goes on Jimmy Kimmel and walks off after two minutes, I'd be like, that's my boy. He follows <laughs> his own rhythm. Yeah. Which, I oh my God, <laughs> would you believe the internet memes we would get? <laughs> <laughs> if something like that actually happened, I'm just saying we would have a podcast. Well, I don't know if we know what to expect from this guy. You remember when he did that one mockumentary about being a, a rapper? And I can't remember what the name yes! of Yes! But I mean, he, yes! he genuinely didn't tell anybody and went on his whole deal where he said he quit acting. And he went on for like three months, if I remember right. I forgot how long it went on. And he was going on, he was going on talk shows and he was like playing his role. Like he was in character, you know, kind of leading up to this mockumentary. Uh, and I can't remember the name of that film. I can't remember it either. But so y- you just don't know what this guy is going to do. <laughs> this guy is method to the max. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he's going to play it. I think he's going to play it pretty straight at this point. I mean, I understand what he was doing for that one role because you, it's kind of hard to do this like mockumentary if you don't have anything to kind of base it on. <laughs> right. And so he was just basically, you know, uh, creating a persona of this character but i mean you don't need to do that with joker i mean you're gonna you're basically gonna tell the story in the film itself yeah and then kind of lastly one of the things he talked about joaquin phoenix was talking about the things he considers when it goes into choosing a project uh he said you know he doesn't really care about genre or budget size anything like that it's just whether there's a filmmaker that has a unique vision has a voice and the ability to make the film he also went on to talk about how he, he feels like it's easy for him to sit down for months at a time if he feels like he's become overexposed uh and he says at one point Point, uh, you just you don't want to see this meaning on a poster he says if he's driving down the street he goes again this face and he goes it's so tired enough that's where he would just kind of like become a recluse I, I think is what he's basically trying to say here yeah absolutely and he says if i don't feel like pushing myself in some ways i'll get bored or maybe they'll get bored of me i just don't i don't know who's going to be get bored of who first yeah so it was it was an interesting uh, article yeah and so i guess to before we get into some of these tiff reactions that we had from people that had seen the premiere over at uh, North America. There's a nice little billboard uh, down in Times Square. What? You mean they're advertising in Times Square? Never. <laughs> that never happens. What are you talking about, Tim? But it's it's got one of those great, uh, that great scene that I love from that first trailer. Oh, yeah, when he's like trying to force himself to smile. Force himself yeah. to smile. Yeah, that's great. Oh, and by the way, you know that scene actually goes from The Man Who Laughs? I think the original, it was the original inspiration for Joker. Yes. That yeah. is a very similar type scene from that film. I still need to see that. Yeah, I do too. So, all right, well, let's get on with some of these TIFF reactions. And I just want to give credit to, um, I saw somebody had compiled this 
posts in the DC Cinematic site on Reddit. The user was the Guitard. Um, I'm going to go through some of these and read some of these off because again, it's it it, it it's going to kind of paint a picture for what we can expect from this film. Setting expectations. <laughs> Setting expectations. All right, Peter Howell uh, says, "Wow, Joaquin Phoenix and Todd Phillips summon Dark Mojo for a descent into madness for the origin story to beat all origin stories. Forget comic books. This is disturbingly too close to modern alienation to be dismissed as mere fantasy." Hmm. Chris Evangelista said, "Guys, it's good. A simplistic script is saved by Phoenix's great performance, Phillips's impressive direction, Hildor." Giot. Good and daughter. Thank you. Moody score and Lawrence Shear's gorgeous cinematography. This isn't just a dark drama. It's a full-blown horror movie. <laughs> wow. So that's the first time I've kind of heard it described as a horror film. Right. And a simplistic script. First time I've heard that too. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, I've I've heard at a couple places people trying to really? say Really? Okay. I've heard at a couple people saying that they they see it as simplistic, which I, I don't, I mean, we'll have to see, but like, I don't think it has to be a deep script because this is really a character study. Right. Nigel Smith says, Joker feels like the first anarchist blockbuster. Need a sleep to wrestle with it. Joaquin Phoenix has demons and we're lucky for it. The guy's astonishing. Cinema Blend says, Joker, the perfect origin story for a lunatic with no origin. Todd Phillips gives DC its first true masterpiece. Okay, thanks, Cinema Blend. <laughs> the Clown Prince has never been more deranged, more dangerous, and more real. A brutal work that will have audiences raving. Okay. Eric Owen says, Joker doesn't reinvent the comic book movie, but it's certainly the scariest one. A taut psychological thriller with a few horror movie twists. Joaquin Phoenix, though, yikes. Looks like he stepped out of the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Or maybe he's still trapped there. Astounding. Okay, Scott Menzel uh, says, Joker is phenomenal. Joaquin Phoenix's performance is next level. No other performance this year will be able to top this one. There is so much to digest with this film, too, including its exploration of humanity and mental illness. A flawless masterpiece. <laughs> Pretty strong statement. Uh, Jason Garacio says, Joker is an extremely ultra-violent tale, but it's also a concerning commentary on mental illness, class, feeling ostracized from society. It's really chilling to watch. Ashley Menzel says, Joaquin Phoenix gives a twisted and darkly stunning performance, rife with social commentary on mental health, violence, social classes, and more. It builds upon the discomfort of the audience to really bring home the message behind it. Okay, interesting. Beatrice Verhoeven says, Joker is dark, really violent, and Joaquin Phoenix's performance is astounding. Crowd gas and said, oh my God, several times. Need some time to think about this psychological thriller. We've heard that a lot. We've heard a lot yeah. of people saying they really need time to process this film. And and, and the key, and the, and the TIFF reactions are saying things that we didn't hear a lot of from the Venice reactions, which is focusing on it being violent. But my question is, is it violent or is it gory? That's a question I have because things can be violent without being, you know, gory. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I, I wonder if it's a different perspective because certainly in North America we we have I mean we've had our share of like really violent acts you know that have been like you know amongst you know within our country and I kind of wonder if there's like more of a, a sensitivity to that with the North America audience than maybe over in you know over in Italy yeah I don't know because normally the violence issue usually is a, is a European
European issue, and we're more concerned about like the sex right issue. So <laughs> it's I really don't weird. know. It's strange. It's strange. These yeah. are yeah. These are interesting. These are a little bit different flavor. We got one more. Yeah, Brian Truitt says Saw Joker. It is dark. Think Network as a comic book movie. Okay. Yes, I. I'm glad he brought that up. By the way. Okay. I've been thinking that too. You'll have to expound. Okay. Freakily relevant to right now. Nicely twisty though familiar too. Joaquin makes the thing. We're gonna have many convos about this flick. <laughs> okay. Uh, have you never seen Network? <sighs> it's been a long time. Oh, but just the whole idea about like what media does and how we and, and, and then how a media can then take someone who is psychologically deranged but then exploit them because it's popular. Sure. I mean, you know, I mean, Network is of course famous for that. I'm mad as hell and I'm not gonna take it anymore. Yeah. Okay. So that that's the angle you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. Well, but just that that idea of taking someone who's deranged and kind of giving him a platform while also sort of uh, what's the word exploiting him at the same time yeah hmm. yeah it'll be interesting especially like if this is being depicted in the 80s i mean i yes. think you would have the net- network was in the 80s yeah i, I think you would have seen that happen or the 70s wait a minute I'm, I'm 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 questioning myself you keep going i'm gonna i'm gonna double check that. yeah that's fine so yeah so again real interesting reactions a little bit more of an idea kind of forming here about i, I guess people kind of questioning like or trying to try, trying to grapple with what they saw in this film yeah 1976 it was the 76 70s. okay yeah okay so you you posted this link to this e this entertainment weekly review i didn't read it because you didn't post it in here but then you said they chose not to grade the film yeah it's weird and i don't know how often they do this thing but if you actually look at the review itself and the review is kind of like a mixed bag like you know it, you could tell the the person reviewed it is lee greenblatt and it seems like she had chose not to go ahead and rate the film at the end which is kind of interesting and i'm not sure what that means i don't need i mean i don't typically put a lot of stock in entertainment weekly reviews anyway so i just i just thought i thought that was an interesting choice not to give it a grade yeah uh so let's go back to box office projections we talked about this a little bit last week it was box office pro had talked about they were they had changed their projection to predicting 103 million in the opening week domestically we've had a couple other estimates this past week that have come out from a variety of sites the whole range uh, between all the ones that have come out is anywhere from like 76 million to 103 million for the opening week. Now, just kind of keep in mind, if, if that were to be the case, like uh, anything above like I think 81 million would set the record for October. The other thing about this thing too is because it's a rated R film, it's really putting itself in some uh, some exclusive company here. To give you an idea about the other top rated R rated films that have been out there. So going back, uh, the first like really R rated film that kind of came out uh, based on a comic book material was 300 and that was around 71 million. Uh, following that was Watchmen. That was 55 million. Then we had, was Logan the next one? No, Deadpool came up before It was Logan. Deadpool. Deadpool is 132 million. And then we had Logan, which is like 88 million. And then Deadpool 2, which is like 126 million. Yeah. So give you an idea. Like, so it just kind of shows you that these R-rated films can really take off. And I'm going to be real curious to see what happens with Birds of Prey. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's going to be an interesting one. Now tell me about, okay, first off, tell me, you've, you've watched a couple of additional TV spots that have been posting about Joker, but then I want you to really delve into this article that came out about uh, once again kind of pointing out the flaws of Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, the TV spots were, you know, largely just kind of building upon stuff that we've already seen, but there is a couple of TV spots that show some additional really cutscenes. One of them shows like Joker uh, in a police car, which we saw, but you actually get a close-up view of his face. And then a couple other scenes that I won't really go into, but like it, it shows like other action points within the film. Um, but you'd mentioned
mention this Rotten Tomatoes commentary. Uh, this was an article put out by Mansoor Mithiwala, and it was really kind of interesting. And, and I haven't dug into these numbers myself here, Scott, but you've seen some chatter about it as well. Uh, yes. And what was kind of interesting, he had broken down the scores for Joker uh, from the Rotten Tomato scoring after Venice and then after TIFF. And uh, so after the Venice Film Festival, Joker had an 86% score on Rotten Tomatoes. And this was based on 49 different reviews. Uh, and if you look at these reviews, it had an average of 8.66 out of 10. He says, but if you look at just the top critics, it was considered rotten with a 45% score uh, with just 11 of those reviews. So those top critics made up 11 reviews, uh, five were fresh, six were rotten. And then he, and he, then he said, like, that, those 11 reviews had an average score of 7.2 out of 10. <laughs> so that's not too far off from the 8.66. And and basically, his conclusion here was that that means a film that was rated over 7 out of 10 is being aggregated all the way down to a 50%. Under a 50%. To under 50%, right. And then uh, he went on and said, you know, after TIFF, uh, there's now a total of 81 total reviews. It now has a 78% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, has an overall composite score of 7.9 out of 10. And then if you look at just the top critics, which is a total of 17, it has a 47% Rotten Tomato aggregate score. And those 17 critics make up uh, an average of 7.48 out of 10. <laughs> so that's this is what's kind of amazing to me. If the overall score of 7.9 out of 10 gives you a 78% rating, but yet the top critic score of a 7.5 out of 10 drops it all the way down to a 47%. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. No, this is not how math works. No, that's it, it just kind of basically shows, you know, some of the flaws. Like if there's any kind of film that has any kind of mixed reviews or, you know, Rotten Tomatoes is just horrible. Like it doesn't, it, you know, it could skew one way or the other. And that's why it's such an, an awful way to, you know, it's an awful metric for films. But to give you an idea how this compares to some other popular films. Now, just to recap here, when we talked about the overall score from top critics for Joker, it had an average of 7.5 out of 10 score, which yielded a 47% Rotten Tomato score. But if you look at Avengers Endgame from the top critics, which had an average rating of 7.7 out of 10, so 0.2 out of 10 higher than Joker, that gave it a 92% score on Rotten Tomatoes. And then if you want to compare it back, uh, there was another article, there was another movie that was referenced in here, uh, talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp. It had a score, an overall score of 6. 7 out of 10, but it had a Rotten Tomato score of 76%. (laughs) So so this just tells you, like, the, you know, Rotten Tomatoes is... is hugely inconsistent and and it seems like if there's any kind of mixed reviews in there the the scores just don't really seem to make any sense whatsoever right and and they and what this writer noted is that when a film is controversial or divisive the those middling reviews tend to swing really negative like they will they will more likely give a controversial film negative a, a rotten will assign a rotten score to a middling review, even though the exact same number could swing positive with another film. It's it's we've talked about this before. <laughs> it makes no sense. No, but it's so interesting to see people actually kind of break these things down because I mean you know you you obviously get a sense of it when you see these you know you see discrepancies in how things are rated, especially when you see like the same reviewer. You, I mean you see these things come up all the time. The same reviewer they'll show all the reviews from that particular reviewer, and he or she may rate a film like you know three out of five stars 
and and people will line these things up saying, well, this one was called rotten, and this three out of five was called fresh, and this three out of five was called rotten. So it it's it there is like some kind of interpretations in there where people are judging these reviews and and making their own judgment about whether it's rotten or fresh. Now I know you know some people can like some of the movie reviewers can actually go in there and make a judgment about whether they consider it to be fresh or rotten, but most people don't do that. No, because they they pretty much say, I wrote my review, read my review, right? Oh, so speaking of reviews. <laughs> Okay, I got some fun out of this because when we were reading reviews last week, we had that one particularly negative review from IndieWire that we were like, what the heck? <laughs> well, Warner Brothers Marketing decided to go, that decided to up their troll game by actually posting a quote from this negative review on a poster. And if you just look at the quote out of context, it comes across as a very positive thing. <laughs> And it's really hilarious when you know the gist of the review it came out of. Context matters. Yes. <laughs> so this came. This comes from David Ehrlich's uh, IndieWire review. The poster says, "An immaculately crafted piece of mass entertainment." Ah, <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it so much. Do you remember the exact? Uh, context of that? Ah, I don't remember the exact context of that. No, let me look it up real quick. Okay, because that because there was a quote, uh, there was a tweet that pointed this out from Will Mavity at Mavericks Movies. It said Warner Brothers slapping a quote from David Elric's negative review of Joker on the poster when they are when they are a dozen positive ones to choose from instead is some god level trolling on their part. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so I had to go back to the review. This was uh, to quote from David Ehrlich. Uh, he says, Todd Phillips is stuck between reinventing the superhero movie from the ground up and throwing a cheap disguise on the same dumb origin story we've already seen a thousand times. He needs his Joker to be both the light and the dark, the yin and the yang, the only sane man in the world gone mad. He needs to have his cake and to smear it all over his face in a big red smile too. The result is an immaculately crafted piece of mass entertainment that wants to be all things to all people, less a Rorschach test than a cinematic equivalent of Schrodinger's cat that leaves us feeling like the movie and the current state of audio filmmaking itself, of studio filmmaking itself, might actually be dead and alive at the same time. <laughs> so they pulled that little quote out of that. And I, it also I mean, it also shows, like, do you even understand the, the concept of Schrodinger's cat in, that, in the use? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, this is great. <laughs> I love the fact that they did this. I, it's, it's really fun. I love it. It's like a giant F you, and I, <laughs> I appreciate it so much, especially with something else we're going to talk about later on. In tonight's episode, yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> moving on from Joker after all that <laughs> to Birds of Prey. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter was uh, reporting that the Birds of Prey teaser that we talked about last week that you can find pirated throughout the internet and that I saw before it chapter two apparently is only going to be released theatrically. They are never going to release an official online version of it. And this article kind of goes on to talk about other trailers that are only being released. Officially, theatrically, and speculating about why that is, trying to do something special for the theatrical experience.
experience, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's it's all a bunch of speculation and stuff. No no hard quotes from anyone admitting to any of this. Also, with some gross inaccuracies about Tenet only appeared before Hobbs and Shaw. I was like, mm, nope, I saw it before Kitchen and It Chapter 2. So check your facts. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, kind of talking about Birds of Prey, of course, uh, some of the filming is still going on right now. We're still seeing some of the behind the scenes uh, additional photography bits being done for some additional action scenes or some augmented action scenes. We know that to be at least the case with at least one scene that's being done right now. There's a lot of pictures floating out there with that. So that's apparently still going on. And then uh, yesterday of this recording, which would have been Friday, uh, James Gunn tweeted out a infographic uh, with an official casting announcements for the Suicide Squad with a tweet that said, don't get too attached. (laughs) And I have to admit, it was kind of anticlimactic in a way, because it's like, if you've been following the news like we've been following it, it's like, none of these names are giant surprises. It was like, we've talked about all these people. Yeah, pretty much. We already, the, the I, I think the only like big news you get from it is that it is the first official confirmation of who's returning from David Ayer's film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it's the same names that we've heard, you know, Viola Davis, uh, Margot Robbie, uh, we talked about um, Joel Kinnaman, and then Jai Courtney. Jai Courtney. Those are the four that we know are returning. I have to admit, I am kind of sad that, you know, because this cast is so large, like we don't have a couple of the other characters. I do hope that we get some kind of explanation about what happened to these, you know, these other individuals. We're talking about like, you know, Katana's character. She's too busy making the boys. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Killer Croc. I mean, so I'd like to, I hope, hopefully we get some kind of explanation about where they're at. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't, to be honest with you. Yeah. That it's just, we rotate them in, we rotate them out. Yeah. I mean, again, so. you got to remember that is literally the concept of the Suicide Squad. Yeah. It's not exactly. a team. It's 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 like it's a team that's put together for a particular mission. So we shall see. I did like the fact that they are actually using a John Ostrander style Suicide Squad logo. Yes, and like with the with the bullet holes and stuff. Yeah. Now I I I mean I dug it. I mean because I love I you know I love Ostrander's run and you know this is the logo that I associate with Suicide Squad in my head. You know with the bullet holes across it. And I thought it was kind of fun to have the different names, the bullet holes running across them in that same kind of font. I'll be interested to see what the font looks like when it comes time for the actual movie poster. Yeah. Because you commented that you felt like it wasn't quite cinematic enough. Yeah, I mean, it's not. I mean, it's, it looks straight from the comic book. I mean, I'm sure it literally was <laughs> when this was put together. So, you know, once uh, once all the you know, the marketing designer people get their hands on this thing, it'll I'm sure it's going to look pretty cool. Apparently, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II was very disappointed that he was not in the movie. <laughs> well, he hasn't been captured yet, so. Oh, that, that is true. That is true. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, once he gets captured and thrown into jail, then, you know, he can be induct. you know, he can be recruited for the Suicide Squad, so. Recruited, i.e. <laughs> voluntold. Yeah. Oh, and then there's all the stuff kind of going around uh, with David Ayer. Uh, got a little active the last couple of days, and it really kind of started with a post from that same, uh, <laughs> the same guy that we were talking about from the IndieWire, uh, David Ehrlich. Uh, he had thrown some trash out there on Twitter where he said, that feeling when a movie studio makes a splashy, exciting announcement about a sequel to some dumb piece of shit that literally every sane person on earth hated with a passion when it came out like 10 minutes ago.
ago, and it was wow. basically like, "Don't believe the the lies." It, it was a it was a scene from Memento. Memento, yeah. <laughs> and I I do like the fact that David Ayer directly <laughs> addressed this. Quote tweeted it. Quote tweeted it. And and then and actually it was the first tweet, but then he kind of like clarified it even further when he got a response from David Ehrlich. But David Ayer said, uh, "David, that's really mean spirited. I understand the nature of your job and the necessity to grab eyes, but a lot of people dedicated their blood, sweat, and tears and came together to make the original. It's incredibly painful to have two years of my love attacked in such a way. Yeah, and someone else did point out, I forgot who it was, maybe it was Stu Little, you know, but I think someone else, so people point out the fact that, yeah, every same person, so you're insulting all of the the diverse movie-going audience that we, we recorded back in 2016 yeah. that was a major part of the millions that this movie made it's like wow be a little out of touch why don't you yeah without a release in china remember without a release in china yes uh david ehrlich responded he goes i was trying to express frustration with the endless franchise hype parade that continues unabated regardless of previous results whatever they are often at the expense of focusing on films that need the attention apologies that it came off as a more personal attack oh geez well no you're being a little you're being a little d-bag is what you were being (laughs) he was being a douchebag these films need the attention. Mm, you know, maybe in your opinion, yeah. you know, to which David A. responded, thank you for this. The film industry is exactly that, an industry. It keeps growing and moving forward. Yet I know James Gunn will make something amazing. My frustration comes from being hammered for something that was not my original vision. Ah, there we go. So, oh. man, what a tool. <laughs> Yeah, this guy is a tool. So, well, he, he's kind of made a name for himself. People know who's people know his name now. And I will look forward to forgetting it very soon. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Screen Rant, Collider, ComicBook.com, some stuff from that guy, Daniel RPK. It, it all kind of gets mushed together in the way that the internet gets mushes things together. But if you distill it all down, basically the word on the street is shooting for the Suicide Squad will get underway in Atlanta next week. It will continue in Atlanta. Atlanta for three months before heading to Panama for an additional month. Plot details are possibly leaking that Waller sends the squad to Panama to deal with an extraterrestrial monster and Warner Brothers had confirmed to comic.com that Suicide Squad was beginning filming this month, but they would not officially reveal shooting locations. Right, yeah. So that's pretty much how you break all that down. So, I mean, there's no way we're not going to get some set pictures in the next couple of weeks. A place it's in Atlanta. We see all the set pictures from Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, we do. So we'll finally get something. Now, now I wonder if we're going to get like that really cool, badass reveal. Remember when we got our first image of the, the Suicide Squad uh, from David Ayer? Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah. 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 I still love that. With, with the clay, well, that, and that was with Clay Eno's photography, and yeah. all. it was just so nice. Yeah, I wonder if we're going to get something like that, because, I mean, you're going to get, you know, these behind-the-scene pictures, and you, you just feel like they, they have to give us something, don't they? I don't know. I really don't. I mean, look at, look at you know, what all we've gotten for Birds of Prey was that, you know, was sort of like that, what would you call it, that screen test yeah. compilation. Yeah. So. Well, we got something, though. I mean. Yeah, true. We're going to have to get something. Well, and then I was reading up on the fact that it is now, like, formally announced that the Warner Media bad robot deal. It is it it like the 
they have signed. The ink is dried on the deal. It is happening. So there will be um, what what the Variety article said was the pact will see Bad Robot, the production company that Abrams runs with his wife and co-CEO Catherine McGrath, make movies, shows, and games and other entertainment content for the company, being Warner Media. On Thursday, the company said that the wide-ranging agreement commences immediately and initially runs through 2024. So, and then there was a Hollywood Reporter article that then said that the deal apparently is worth at least $250 million, which was interesting because sources were saying that the deal that Bad Robot could have had with Apple was worth in the ballpark of $500 million, but that the sticking points that caused Bad Robot to take a deal that's valued at about half the amount of the Apple deal basically boiled down to Apple wanted Bad Robot, they wanted Bad Robot to exclusively produce content for Apple, which meant that Abrams would not have been allowed to work on outside projects like he's done Star Wars for Disney or Star Trek for Paramount or selling off TV projects to third-party outlets. Uh, There was also a concern on Bad Robot's part about Apple's lack of of a theatrical distribution model. Uh, You know, Bad Robot has about an estimated $1 billion earnings that comes from blockbuster features. And also there was a concern of Apple's lack of IP that Abrams would be able to adapt for Bad Robot. So these were all kind of like the major points that came out saying, why would Bad Robot sign a deal that's 50% of another deal? Yeah. I mean, you know, if he's getting 250 with Warner Media, I mean, he's he's going to end up making more than 500 ultimately. Oh, absolutely. With all these other things. So yeah, it seems like kind of a no-brainer. Then it went on to kind of talk about how uh, some of the, the scuttlebutt that was kind of captured in this Hollywood Reporter article, uh, it said that the Warner Media Pact is believed to include at least a partial equity stake in Bad Robot, which is kind of interesting. That is very interesting, and it, it makes it attractive for Warner Media. Sure does, yeah. Uh, they also said here that sources familiar with the deal say that it is less about the money and more about the larger opportunities that come with an established media giant like Warner Media. Abrams is said to have wanted a set number of guaranteed slots on Warner Brothers' feature film release calendar, though it's unclear if that was included in this new agreement. And with Warner's, Abrams has the ability to create new features that could see his new deal reach the billions if he's able to create a successful franchise. Which Abrams is more than capable of doing. <laughs> yeah, I think he's he's kind of shown that. So, yeah. Okay, so um, it's locked in, locked and loaded now. Now we'll have to see if uh, if he ends up getting involved in any DC projects. Still yeah. don't know. Still don't know. I don't really think he cares right now. I think it's just like this is a, this is a good deal for him. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a good deal for Warner Media. Let's, let's, this is a mutually beneficial arrangement. Yeah, this is one of those that it's 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 good for both parties pretty clearly. All right. I'm going to be honest. I haven't been able to watch the whole thing yet because <laughs> my kids were in the room and there was some salty language in the trailer. But, oh, my God, HBO finally released a full trailer for Watchmen. Uh, it looks so freaking good. <laughs> It, it does look good. It looks really good. But it is it so good. It is so abundantly clear that this is a unique Watchmen story. Like this is not I, I mean, when they talk about how it's in the world of Watchmen, but it's not going to really necessarily uh, be tied to any of the other storylines. I mean, it's pretty clear that this is its own thing. Well, they even said in a featurette that was also released that their goal was to make it uh, uh, was it? faithful to the to the world of Watchmen, but not make reading the graphic novel a prerequisite for watching the show. Right. Yeah. Which I think is an interesting concept about you're taking you're taking a TV show and saying we can you can watch this and we're going to give you enough that you don't have to go and read the book. It's continuing. Yeah. I find that intriguing to be honest. 
lost with you. Well, and I like it too, because I, I look at the film and I feel like it's almost a perfect film, right? In terms of like representing the Watchmen story. So like, you don't, you don't need to build on that because to me, that would just like, there's, there's, I think that story needs to kind of stand on its own. And I wouldn't want to see them necessarily try to add to that because then it's just going to get a little muddled. And the moment you have anything that kind of contradicts what was in the film, then, you know, you just don't want to have to deal with that mess. Like, I like the idea of this kind of like standing in its own little corner in this universe and just creating this new like set of mythologies uh, set into that same Watchmen universe. So I'm, I, I like, I like what they're doing. I, I just wonder how well it's going to be received by the, you know, the, the Watchmen fans ultimately. But you know what? HBO doesn't care. No, they don't. They don't care because you want to talk about the Watchmen, uh, the the Watchmen fans versus the general audience that's going to be watching the show, especially when they put it in the time slot like Game of Thrones yeah. and Westworld. They can afford to PO a few Watchmen fans yeah. if it means grabbing the general audience who watches that nine Eastern, eight Central Sunday time slot. Um, but by the way, in terms of like tying to uh, some of the other Watchmen th- mythology, we did see Archie crash down for sure. Yes, <laughs> I saw Archie. Yes. I was so excited. Yeah. So like, I mean, we, we've we seen a few things that are tied. We saw Hood of Justice in one of the, uh, in a, was it the teaser, I think? It was the teaser and it was like in a, it was like a film. Yeah. Like it, it, and then we know that Jeremy Irons is going to be Ozymandias. We've seen lots of references to, to Dr. Manhattan. We've heard that Gene Smart's going to be playing an older version of, yeah. uh, Silks of Lori. So, I mean, it, it's going to be connected, but still, it's like, I don't know. I, I like what I'm seeing a lot. Yeah. I can't wait for this one to start off. Yeah. I think it's pretty much been established that you and I together yeah. will be appearing on DC TV Squadcast to talk about the show. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so we're going to be on another show. So, like, if you like listening to us gab and, and just talk all kinds of nonsense, <laughs> head over to DC TV Squadcast. When this show starts in October, because we're going to be there for all 10 episodes of season one. Yeah, this will be a fun one. Okay, well, I think that's it for this week, Scott. What do you think? I think that's pretty, I think that's a show. I think it's a show. <laughs> it's a show. So guys, it's been a lot of fun, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you. You can reach out to us on Twitter at Suicide Squadcast. I can be reached at ScottDC27 on Twitter. And then on Twitter, you can find me at Alan Fire. And of course, you can always email the show, SuicideSquadcast at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. You can find us on Vero, Facebook. We have a website, SuicideSquadcast.com, where you can find us and all the rest of the shows in the network. And then, of course, uh, we want to thank all of our patrons over at Patreon. If you want to consider supporting us, you can go to patreon.com slash squadcastmedia. Uh, we will be recording our 1989 Punisher review, the Dolph Lundgren classic. Yes. I think I'm using the word classic very liberally, <laughs> but Yes, okay. you are. Yes, you are. Yeah, we're recording that this Tuesday, so I got to finish watching that one. I, I had a little difficulty getting through the first part. <laughs> oh, <laughs> indicative of how the Squadcast movies is going to go. Well, okay. we'll see. I was a little tired, so it it, it, it it wasn't keeping me awake. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Okay. Well, guys, that's going to be it for this week's podcast. Thanks to all of you. And as we like to remind you every week, go out and keep reading DC. See you guys. Bye. Thank you.
Oh, so we're totally blowing up David Ehrlich this week, right? I mean, it kind of writes itself. Yeah, I mean, you suggested that, but I mean, if we're going to do that, like, I mean, I really have to ask, like, what is our angle? Like, I mean, he's a dick. That's that's our angle. He's being a dick for like two weeks in a row. Yeah, yeah. And we've certainly blown up people for less than that, haven't we? I'm saying. (laughs) All right. I'm sorry, David, but after the last couple of weeks, you've had this coming. Stop. Just, you're just being mean now. How am I being mean if he can't hear it? He just recorded it, though, so he but could He's not going to hear it. He could, but he won't, because you don't know how to record me. Or do I? No, you don't. No, I don't. Okay. I feel like blowing up David Ehrlich is almost like a prerequisite at this point. Yeah, I kind of feel like, but what's our angle? He's a dick. <laughs> I feel like that's the <laughs> angle. Uh, somebody give David Ehrlich a hug. <laughs> he needs one. Were you held as a baby, David? <laughs> Uh, Now we're just being dicks. Now we're just being the dicks.